Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John? Chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 18 and through the remainder of the chapter. Will Rogers said something one time that I thought was very interesting. He says, it's not what a man knows, but what he knows that ain't so that makes him so dangerous. Well, as you begin to study the book of 1 John, you begin to notice that John uses that word know quite a bit. I don't know about you, but uh, it bothers me sometimes to read a book or to uh, watch a TV movie or a movie on the TV or at the movies or whatever. And not know exactly how that movie ends. It's like a cliffhanger. Uh, I'm reminded of the movie of Gone with the Wind. And uh, you remember that famous setting. There where Scarlett O'Hara is there. And Rep Butler is getting ready to walk out the door. And he says, frankly my dear, I don't give... A blank. You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? (laughs) Uh, And then he turns and he he walks out the door in that blinding wind and rain. Did he come back? Some say yes, some say no. You really don't know. It kind of leaves you in that hanging position. John has two words that he constantly used in the midst of 1 John. He used the word love, and he used the word know. In fact, in these closing verses of Scripture, as you'll notice there in verse 18, 19, and 20, he uses the word know four different times that you should know something. That you should know. As we have studied the book of 1 John, he has clarified that we as believers, there are certain things we should know. And, and that he does not leave you hanging. But that you shall know that you know Certain things. Number one, that you shall know God Himself. John reminds us over and over again as a believer that you can know God and know Him intimately and know Him personally. He reminds us that you can know that you have been passed from death to life. You can know that. Not a hope so or a maybe so, but that you can know that. Then he says that you can know for sure that when you do die, you're going to go to heaven. What an assurance. I, ha- I wouldn't give you two cents for religion that would not give you the assurance of heaven. But that you know that when you pass from this life into 
life everlasting, that you have the assurance of heaven. What great assurance that gives to a family, to friends when a loved one has passed away and that by their testimony that they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that the pastor or our family members can say, I know where my loved one is because he's in heaven today. You can know that. That's what John says. John is saying that you can know that you have eternal life. That you don't have to worry or wonder about whether you have eternal life or whether you don't have eternal life. Saved today, lost tomorrow. What a terrible, terrible life that would be. But John says, you can know that you have eternal life. And you can know, as John says, that God answers your prayers. Oh, I'm so grateful to know that we don't serve a God that who has no eyes and who has no ears and that has, who has no power. But that we can come before His mighty presence today. And the Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. The Bible tells us that if we abide in Him and He abides in us, that whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be done. What assurance. So he don't leave you hanging. All through the book of 1 John, as we have studied, he constantly reminds us, you shall know. You shall know. He comes now to the last few closing verses of Scripture, and he reminds us of three other things that we shall know. It's a certainty of Trinity, what I would describe it. And he reminds us of how we as believers can know these things and be assured without a shadow of a doubt they come to pass. So let's look at these verses of scriptures for a few moments. With your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's infallible, inerrant word of God? 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. Listen to this. And you might want to just circle that word no or underline that word no or highlight that word no. And notice the number of times he uses it. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. 
Amen. Father, we bless your holy name today. We're thankful that we don't have to go through a world wandering and wishing and hoping. But in our spiritual life that the word of God and the Holy Spirit gives us great assurances of wonderful truths. Thank you so much for that. And today you're once again reminding us of some spiritual truths that we can know. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint us and fill us with your holy power. And we pray, dear Lord, that the words that proceeds out of my mouth would come from the heart of a living God to touch and to speak and to do a mighty work in the midst of your people. We rebuke Satan and all the forces of evil who would try to hinder or hamper the works of the Spirit of God today. And so, Father, with that being said, we pray now for your will to be done in the hearts and the lives of your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. John says, we know. We know. I want to share with you in the closing verses of this passage of Scripture and the closing series of First John Family Fellowship of the certainty of a trinity that he reminds us here today. Join with me as we look at verse 18 just for a few moments. We're just going to take verse 18, 19, and 20 and, and do a survey and begin to pull out some nuggets of truth, of, of eternal truth that God has reminded us that we can know of these things. The very first thing I want you to notice is that a saint lives in spiritual purity. A saint lives in spiritual purity. Now, listen to what the Bible says in verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, what in the world is he speaking about that? Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What in the world is he speaking about when he's talking about that we who are spiritual do not sin? We understand that when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we receive a new nature, but we have not abandoned that old nature neither. There will still be sin. So exactly what is he talking about? Well, we're going to look at that for a few moments this morning. But then he goes on to say, But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The saint lives in spiritual purity. A saint. 
I hear people say, well, I'm not perfect and I'm certainly no saint. Well, if you're a child of God, you are a saint. Did you realize that? See, a saint does not refer to your purity. It refers to your position. The position that you hold in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about spiritual perfection here. But what he is talking about, spiritual purity. He's talking about a child of God who has come to a point and place in his life that he has accepted that spiritual nature and that nature is being exercised in and through his life. Now the Bible reminds us that we know that whoever is born of God does not sin over and over and over habitually. That's when you begin to look at that word sin. He's talking about not that you don't sin, but he is saying that we as believers are going to, are not going to habitually sin. That that you have a new nature now. And so as you began to look at this word, you began to recognize that God says that by your position, you have become a saint. I heard a preacher one time was preaching or he was speaking in a a gathering. And uh, he says, now nobody in this room uh, knows anybody that is perfect. And about that time, there was a little lady raised her hand. She said, oh, I know one that was perfect. He said, you do? He said, yes. My husband's first wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my friend, nobody is perfect. And, And therefore, he's talking about that a true Christian, he lives in spiritual purity. That it's not a part of his lifestyle to habitually sin. Many, many years ago, there was an old preacher by the name of Uncle Buddy Robinson. He was a Nazarene preacher. And Uncle Buddy Robinson had a way with words. And he said this. He said, before I got saved, I used to jump into sin like a pig would jump into slop. And then he says, and I loved it. But then I got saved. And now I may stumble into it, but I hate it when I get there. Isn't that true? We used to jump into sin because that was a part of our nature and we didn't know any better. But now today that as the Spirit of God has come into your life, He has given you a new desire. A new nature. And you know what? That is what is so wonderful about the Christian life. Somebody came up to Dwight L. Moody one time and says, I feel sorry for you. He said, why do you feel sorry for me? He said, because I'm a lost man and I'm a sinner and I can sin as much as I want to. You Christians can't do that. But I mean, D.L. Moody said, ah, you're wrong. I can sin as much as I want to. 
I just don't want to anymore. Isn't that true? Just don't want to anymore. That God has taken that away from me. God has given me a new desire, a new heart, a new nature. I just don't want to do that anymore. So as you look at this, he he is reminding us something that is very special. He's reminding us our position as sons. As we're born into the family of God, the Bible says that in John chapter 1 verse 12, but as many has received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That he has given you power to become sons of God. My friend, if you're a child of God, you are a son of God, a daughter of God. And this is what the Bible is reminding us. And by becoming a son, you begin to receive the nature of your father. And that nature has changed. You not only received a new nature, but you received a new name. The Bible says now you are called Christian. Have you ever noticed of how little children will imitate their parents? The other night, the uh, our boys and their wives and their children were over our house and I was watching little Tristan, two years old, and uh, Heath had taken his shoes off. They're size 13s. And little Tristan had put his two little feet in his shoes of his daddy. And he was trying to walk in those shoes. And and, And the thought hit me, you know, Isn't that so true? Dads, your kids will walk in your shoes someday. So you better be careful where you're walking. You better be careful how you're walking. And, and, And children imitate their parents. And this is what John is talking about, that we become imitators. Of our father. And that his nature becomes natural within our own life. And that we imitate him. And we walk in his shoes of righteousness. Oh my friend. By that nature. I am to continuously. Walk in the nature of holiness. And righteousness. I was reading one time where Alexander the Great was in a heated battle. And he happened to notice that one of his soldiers were retreating. And as he was retreating, Alexander the Great on his horse races to the Young man. And he says, sir, he said, are you retreating from battle? And the guy hung his head and said, yes, sir. He said, what is your name? And sheepishly, 
he lifted up his face and he looked into the eyes of Alexander the Great. He said, my name is like yours, Alexander. Alexander the Great said something that I won't ever forget. He said, change your name or change your course. And my friend, we are called Christians. We're called children of God. And if you're living in sin, if you're walking in sin, God would say, change your name or change your course. Walk in the walk of righteousness and holiness. Because we are in a position of of sons of God. The Bible reminds us that not only that by my nature and by my name, I am now walking in the walk of righteousness, but also because of the discipline of God. My friend, I can give testimony that when you get out of the will of God and when God convicts and he rebukes, that if you do not heed to that conviction and that rebuking, he will chastise you. And the chastening hand of God upon his children is simply because whom he loves, he chastens. And my friend, he's not going to allow his children be some type of brat. But he wants us to be disciplined. I remember when I was a uh, little boy, I used to go out to my uncle's farm. And he had a lot of cattle. And I would look out there and I would notice something uh, rather unusual around the pasture. He had electric fence around that around that pasture. And I could always tell when they got new cows because they would rub up against that electric fence and then all of a sudden they'd jump back and squeal. And it would only take them about two times to learn that you don't get close to the fence. Well, my friend, it doesn't take but about one time for God to take you to the woodshed to realize you don't want to go back there. And so as positions, as a son, God says, you have a new nature, you have a new name, and I discipline you when you do not abide by my wishes, the word of God. But he goes a step further here. Look with us in verse 18. He also talks about our protection of the Savior. Listen what he says there in verse 18. But he who has been born of God keeps, underline that word, keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. The word keeps is a military term. It literally means to set up guard. It literally means to put up a regiment army around the fort, 
are around the city and to guard it 24-7. To keep. John is saying that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God has come into your life and he comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and he stands guard. He stands guard over your heart, over your life. When sin tries to enter in, the Holy Spirit says, No! When you try to pry and push sin in your life, the Holy Spirit says, No! And when you do allow sin comes, He brings it to your attention immediately. For you to deal with it. But then he goes one step further and he says that sin or that Satan cannot touch you unless he goes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Ever thought about the fact that the only way the devil can ever get to you is through the Lord Jesus Christ? Little girl one time, and you've heard me give this little illustration before, but I think it fits the occasion. Little girl says, when the devil comes and knocks at the door, I just ask Jesus to go to the door and answer it. And that is so true. If we can only learn that. John is saying here, if you're a child of God, the devil can, can tempt you, but my friend, he can't touch you. You're the only one that will allow him to enter into your life. No one else can. So if he has reservations in your heart, my friend, you have placed those reservations. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, Do not give place to the devil. So, He gives us a trinity of certainty. First of all, as we've noticed, the saint lives in spiritual purity. But second of all, look with me in verse 19. The sinner lies in Satan's power. The sinner lies in Satan's power. Listen to what he says in verse 19. It's rather discouraging and depressing if you're not careful, if you don't understand the whole part of the, uh, and understand this passage of scripture. He says, we know that we are of God, praise God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We used to sing a song. He has the whole world in his hands. Well, my friend, that's not only true for God, that's also true for the devil. He's the prince of this earth. And he has the whole world in his hands. It does not surprise me when I read the newspaper today and I see the murdering. I see the stealing. The immorality. When I see a man will go into a theater or into a school and begins to shoot 
innocent individuals. Does not surprise me. Why? Because the Bible reminds us here in verse 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He has one ambition, and that is to destroy. You say, Pastor, that discourages me. Well, it does to me to a certain extent. But it also encourages me. It encourages me because it tells me that when the end of times come, that Satan is going to be more rampant than ever before, which reminds me of the closeness and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again to snatch us up out of this wicked and vile world that we live in today. How encouraging that is. So, friend, the world is basically has three problems. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It basically has three problems. Sin, self, and Satan. You can, you can take all of the problems of our world and categorize it under one of these three. Sin, lying, killing, raping, abusing, molesting, aborting, you name it. And then, of course... We have self. We're living in what is known as the me generation. We have one presidential candidate going around today saying that you vote for me, I'm going to give you a free education. And there's literally Thousands and thousands of young people are flocking to this man because they're thinking they're going to get a free college education. Why would that be? Because we live in a me generation. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And then, of course, it all comes down to this one. Satan is behind it all. Satan is behind it all. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus' is solution for all three. That should encourage us. You stop and you think about it. He died on the cross to counsel my sin. He came into my life to crucify, help me to crucify self. And to allow self to be upon the cross and Christ be upon the throne of my life. And then, of course, he's coming again to conquer Satan one of these days. This one that we call the evil one. This one that we call the devil. One that we call Satan. There is going to come to an end to him one of these days. Praise God that we know one. But then there... We're not only in a controlled world, but there is a comforting word. As you study this verse, as he says, we know that we are of God. 
that we know that we are of God. My friend, I want you to understand, my welfare, my security, my safety does not depend upon this government for all to bring about all that. But friend, I'm here to tell you that I am secure not in this nation, but I'm secure in this God that I serve today. This Christ that I live. And it's all based upon my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a father is not only responsible to discipline his children, but a father is also responsible to take care of the welfare of his children. So my hope is not in Congress. My hope is not in Social Security. My hope is not in stocks and bonds. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that through that, my friend, it brings great comforting words to me. I don't know of anyone better that is more qualified to take care of my family, to take care of my finances, to take care of me physically than the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know of anyone. We have all kinds of experts out there today, my friend. But I want you to know, I want to introduce you to one that has never failed to his first client. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, in the midst of darkness, you can have hope and you can have security. But then last of all, we've talked about the sinner lies in Satan's power. But look with me in verse 20 of how the Savior leads us to a supernatural perception. Think about that. Had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ to give us the insight, the spiritual insight of knowing Him and experiencing Him, where would we be today? As a 10-year-old, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I didn't understand. I didn't understand this Bible. But somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit began to allow me to see certain things. One, I was lost. Two, I needed a Savior. And oh, how I'm so thankful to know that as I approach a lost man today, that unless the Holy Spirit gives him spiritual eyes to see, he'll never see. But he will see if he will allow the Holy Spirit to allow that. What does he see? What does a a believer begins to see when he comes to know Christ as their Savior. First of all, he sees that truth of his integrity. Look what he says in verse 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and have given us an understanding. You see that word? That we may know Him who is true. Who is true. And we are in Him who is true. The Bible says we can know this Jesus Christ, that he's true. That he's true. Not that he just speaks truth, but he is truth. As I'm speaking to you, I'm telling you the truth, but I'm not truth. But Jesus Christ is, not only speaks truth, but he is truth. The real issue of all these different types of religions and cults today is truth. The real issue is, who is Jesus Christ? That's the real issue. And unless they come to an understanding that He is the Son of the living God, He is the incarnate One that who came to give life, that we might have life, that He was buried and rose again. My friend, if they do not know that truth, they don't know truth. And this is what He's talking about. The true Christ. Three ultimate sources of truth. There, of course, is the Scripture. There, of course, is the Spirit. And there's the Son. Think about it. The Scripture. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Thy word is truth. The Spirit is truth. First John chapter 5, verse 6 says, The Spirit is truth. And then, of course, speaking of the Son, John chapter 14, verse 16, says, I am the way and the truth. Truth. The sources of truth. That's why we hold in such a way to our hearts of this source of truth because we know there is no other truth. The witness of the Spirit in your heart today will always, will verify the truth in the Scripture. Never will contradict themselves. That's why you read a verse of Scripture and you read something and and you begin to uh, understand it and there is one that's inside you which is the Holy Spirit begins to affirm that by saying, Amen! That's truth! So John is reminding us of the truth of his integrity. But not only the truth of his integrity, but the truth of his identity. Mm. Look what he says in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him. Listen to this. Who is true. And we are in him who is true. In His Son, 
Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The truth of his identity. True really means genuine. It is the opposite of counterfeit. True. I used to say, the saddest people in the world are those who don't who do not hunger for God. But I've changed my mind on that. I don't believe they're the saddest people that who do not hunger for God. The saddest people in this world today, I believe, who hungry for God, but they're looking at the wrong place. They're looking at cults, the Muslims, the Buddhists. And they have all their forms of religion and their rites of worship. And they're doing everything in their own strength to find this God. And it's a counterfeit. Isn't that sad? Hungry. But they can't find truth. Heard about this guy. He was watching this orchestra play. And he was watching the violinists. And how they were all were taking their violin and they were stroking that violin and their fingers were going up and down the different chords. But he hadn't noticed that this one guy, he never did change his fingers. He always had that one finger down on that one chord. Afterward, he went up to him and he said, uh, I couldn't help not to notice that you were not in unison with the rest of the violinists that uh, you had your finger down on one chord. And why did you do that? He said, oh, it's very simple. He said, I found the right chord. They were still looking for it. <laughs> My friend, I have found the right God. I have found the Savior. And I don't have to go looking for Him. He is true. He is living. He is alive. And He wants to be alive in your life today. Boy, John has blessed us, has he not? My, 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 my. Of giving us that assurance that we can know. So the bottom line of the question would be today, do you know that you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven? Sad to say, there's still some people, I'm sure, could say and would say, if they were honest, I hope so. I hope so. 
Maybe. I'm just not sure. John says you can by your trusting and believing and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, what a blessing to pick up this book and to find the truth that we have found out of 1 John these past number of weeks. And the assurance that it gives to us that we can know the true Christ. And that we can know our position, our nature. And that we have that new nature and we have that new name. And because of that, we do not live in sin. We may stumble from time to time, but oh, thank you that if we confess our sins, you're faithful. And you're just to forgive us and cleanse us and renew that righteousness within us. Lord, today, I do not want one single person to walk out the doors of this church that could not say, I know that I know that I know that Christ is my Savior and my Lord. So, Lord, may the Spirit of God speak to us here today. Maybe there's some believers here today, and they've allowed sin to enter into their life. Today is that day. They need to confess it, repent from it, and turn away. Maybe there are some believers here today just might want to come and just thank you for allowing them to know these truths and to be blessed by your word. There might be some people here today that needs to join this church God, you have led them and directed them to come and be a part of the fellowship of this church. We pray that today would be that day. Give them that boldness. There might be someone here today to saying, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I've never been baptized. And I need to be baptized in His likeness. Give them that power and boldness to come forward. Have thy own will and way. In Jesus' name we pray.